0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Madison's Notes, the official podcast of Princeton University's James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions. I'm your host, Annika Nordquist. Today, I'm incredibly excited to introduce a member of Princeton's class of 1992, although you probably know him better, as the senator from Texas, Ted Cruz. Senator Cruz really needs no introduction. In addition to representing the 30 million residents of the state of Texas, he has authored dozens of legislative measures that have been signed into law. He graduated from Harvard Law School and became a clerk to Chief Justice William Rehnquist at Princeton. He studied under our director, Professor Robert P. George, and as a member of the American Whig-Cliosophic Society, became one of the top debaters in the country. Today, we're here to talk about his new book, Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America, which is linked in the show notes. This is a really timely book, in part for us here at the Madison Program, because we're doing a series on free speech. So in this conversation, we're going to talk about the book, we're going to focus especially on free speech, and we're going to talk about Senator Cruz's time here at Princeton. So with no further ado, I hope you enjoy. Senator Cruz, welcome to the show. It's such an honor to have you.
0: Well, Annika, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me.
1: So I want to kick us off. I mean, first of all, uh, your book was so interesting, Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of buzz about this issue right now, especially where did wokeness come from? And so amidst all that buzz, you've kind of put put your cards on the table, written this book about it. Why? What was it that you felt like was, you know, amongst what people were saying about it wasn't getting out there that you felt like people needed to know?
0: Well, look like millions of Americans, I, I I look at what's happening to our country, and I'm horrified. Uh, and and what this book endeavors to do, and the book is called Unwoke: How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. It, it it explains how the radical left seized every major institution of America, and 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 each chapter of the book addresses a different institution. So it starts off with universities. And and I, and I call universities the Wuhan lab of the woke virus. It, it, it's where it was created. It's where it mutated. It's where it spread. And from universities, each chapter of the book goes on. It goes from universities to K through 12 education, from there to journalism, from there to government, from there to big business and then big tech and then entertainment, Hollywood, movies, TV, sports, music, uh, and then science. Uh, and the last chapter of the book is on China which I explain how China is a central nexus that is intertwined with all of them. And what the book does is, number one, explains how the radical left, how and why they seize these institutions. But then number two, even more importantly, it lays out a practical battle plan for how we take them back, how we restore these institutions, because I think if we don't take these institutions back, we're going to lose our country.
1: So I want to cut right to the chase here. Right now, um, there's been a lot of buzz about free speech as well. And at the Madison Program, that's a huge area of interest, um, and we're doing a series on it right now. And one of the reasons I was so excited about your book and why it's so timely is that conservatives are in some ways in a bit of a double bind with how do you address wokeness while at the same time you know, remaining champions for free speech and not becoming the party of censorship. And we've taken a lot of flack on that issue from the left how do you think about balancing those two uh both kind of theoretically and practically
0: well listen what the madison program does is incredibly important so i want to thank you for your hard work robbie george robbie was my thesis advisor at princeton he's he's a dear friend and and an incredible champion and stalwart and 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 i think defending liberty defending free speech is unbelievably important and and we live in a world, the left operates using power and coercion and forced obedience. Uh, They operate using censorship and canceling and silencing. And and what, what I advocate in the book is really three buckets of tools to fight back. The first is transparency and sunlight, that the ideas of the radical left are wildly unpopular. Normal, rational people don't support abolishing the police. They don't support open borders and the chaos at our Southern border. Normal rational people actually know what a woman is. That's not a difficult question for someone who is not a radical. Uh, Normal rational people don't celebrate the atrocities of Hamas terrorists. The way the left operates because their ideas are unpopular is number one, through power and coercion, they silence any dissent and number two, through indoctrination. Now that means, you, you ask about free speech, as conservatives, there's value to speaking out. I, look, I don't believe we should silence people for saying radical leftist views, but I do believe, as John Stuart Mill said, the best cure for bad speech is more speech, that we need to highlight their radical and dangerous ideas. That's, that's the first set of tools. The second set of tools is we need to change the cost-benefit analysis so that when someone is contemplating going woke, using an institution to, inf- to impose their political agenda, we need to increase the cost of doing so. So for example, in the chapter on big business, I talk a lot about what happened at Disney and Bud Light and Target. All three of them lost billions of dollars and, and that I believe was a very important cultural moment to increase the deterrence for the next corporate CEO mm-hmm. thinking about going woke to say, you know what? I don't wanna be Bud Light. I don't wanna devastate our company. So maybe I'll just stay out of it. That's the second. And then the third uh, bucket of tools that I advocate is, is that conservatives and libertarians with resources, people that, that, that have succeeded in business need to invest in the organs of transmission of ideas. Buy a movie studio, buy a, a, a TV station, buy a radio station, buy a book publishing house, buy a record label. Uh, invest, and the example I point to is Elon Musk's buying Twitter, which I think is the single most important step for free speech in decades. Now, mind you, Elon Musk is not silencing leftists. He's simply allowing people to speak and opening up free speech, it ends up exposing just how extreme the radical left is. We need to do a lot more of that, and and, and it's all three of those tools together are how we fight to retake those institutions, and that's that's what the book lays out.
1: Yeah. And I, what I really enjoy about that answer is that you're talking about not just what you as a public official can do, but about how all of this is an ecosystem. It's not just yes. a matter of the government comes in from above and can directly fix this. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit. I mean, we don't really have time to get in deep into the details of every single one of the chapters in your book, but. Um, but one of the things that's interesting to me about it is it is kind of an ecosystem. These things do kind of reinforce each other. And so I'm wondering, when you think about these various issues, the newsroom versus universities versus science versus big tech, if you can talk a little bit about if there's some way in which fixing or at least making progress in one can help address the other issues.
0: Uh, look, they, they are all interconnected. And, and, and I'll give an example that is timely right now. You look at what's happening in Israel and, and, and the horrific terror attack on October 7th and the war that has, has followed it. Uh, we are seeing right now, we're seeing anti-Semitism on college campuses across the country. It is horrifying, uh, especially our so-called elite universities. We saw MIT, Jewish students, prevented from going to campus because of anti-Semitic radical activists. And then the university administration said that they would not uh, punish, they would not expel the the, the anti-Semitic protesters who were threatening other students. Why? Because they were there on student visas and if they expelled them, they'd lose their student visa. So these are visitors to our country and the university is terrified to stand up to them. We saw just this last week in California at USC. USC has banned a Jewish professor from coming to campus. Why? Because again, anti-Semitic radical leftists threatened him. And instead of the university saying, we're going to protect our professor, they said, no, we're going to require you to teach your classes remotely because we're going to give in to the mob. And if you look at the intersection right now, number one, this is a manifestation of cultural Marxism. Marxism looks at the world as a conflict between oppressors and victims. Marx did it on a socioeconomic lens, but But cultural Marxism doesn't just break it down socioeconomically. It looks at race. That's where you get critical race theory. It looks at gender and sexual orientation. That's where you get queer theory. And for the radical left, they look at Israel and they have coded Jews as oppressors. They have coded Palestinians as victims. And accordingly, the cultural Marxist supports the violent revolution of the victims against the so-called oppressors. And, and you, you were talking about the ecosystem, the intersection. Mm-hmm. We look at, at something like TikTok, which is controlled by communist China, that is pushing pro-Hamas propaganda to young people. A recent survey done, 51% of young people ages 18 to 24 think the Hamas atrocities can be justified. That mm-hmm. is the fruit of this indoctrination. And that's why we've got to fight back on all of these arenas, and they're all interconnected.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's so interesting that you kind of draw the direct line from what happens in universities and K through 12 education all the way to the foreign policy threat of China. And you gave some really powerful examples of your book. How even a small thing like whether or not to rename something, which is something that both um, you know the Chinese get upset about and people on college campuses get upset about, um, can make such a huge difference. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Well, look, truth is a powerful antidote, and it's an antidote mm-hmm. to lies. And, and communism, communism is fragile. You know, I, I opened the book by, by telling my family story, telling my father's story, how as a teenager in Cuba, he, he fought in the communist revolution, and he fought mm-hmm. alongside Fidel Castro. And my dad, as a teenager, was imprisoned in Cuba. He was tortured in Cuba. And he fled and came to America seeking freedom. And and that he he in particular, if you look at communist regimes, if you look at Marxists, they don't want sunlight. They're terrified of, of sunlight. And 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 that's something I describe in the book, how when you simply expose what they're doing, most people recoil. Mm. And, and it's why they have to rely on force and coercion instead. And, and so, look, I, I want to encourage your listeners uh, to, to go online, go on to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million, wherever you get your books. Go buy a copy of the book, Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. But, but let me encourage you, actually, Christmas season is coming up. The book, I think, uh, makes a great Christmas gift. And, and, and so buy more than one, buy, buy a copy for your mom, buy a copy for your best friend, buy a copy for your crazy left-wing neighbor, uh, to try to knock some sense into them, or even better, buy a copy for your kids or your grandkids, because this book is designed, it's fun, it's readable, it has stories, it's interesting, but it's designed to be useful, to, to, to equip you to fight back against this wokeness that is doing so much damage and to give you practical steps you can do in your life to fight back.
1: Absolutely. Um, and the link to the book will be in the show notes. Um, so last question, as is traditional, uh, for guests on the show who are Princeton alumni, uh, do you have a favorite memory from your time at Princeton or a greatest lesson learned from your time here?
0: So I have lots of wonderful me- memories from Princeton. I, I had an incredible time. I was class of 92. And I actually tell a lot of the stories in the book about, about being at Princeton. When I went to Princeton, it was a world I didn't know. No one in my family had ever gone to an Ivy League school. Uh, I didn't come from money. My, my dad was an immigrant from Cuba. My mom was from a working class family. She was the first in her family to ever go to college. And, and there are lots of stories I tell, but, but what one I would say is my favorite that I do tell in the book is, is <laughs> I was very active in debate. I was very active in wig clio. Um, and, and my best friend, uh, was a guy named David Panton. He was my roommate at Princeton and we were debate partners and David is Jamaican and, and he's from Jamaica. He loves Jamaica. And, and I describe a debate tournament. We usually debated with each other, but there was one tournament where he and I split up and, and it was what was called a hybrid tournament. So you paired up with someone from a different school. And, and I was debating with a guy named Slash who went to University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and Slash had long hair and a red beard and he wore a leather jacket that was festooned with razor blades. He had 37 razor blades. He said one for every, every woman that ha, ha, had broke his heart. <laughs> and, 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 he, and Slash was, was a man of the left. And, and he and I were debating together. In fact, we debated as Armageddon A because it was a fairly unlikely linking of Slash and me together. But we're, we're in the round. And I described how one of the things that David, my roommate, he and I would often do in debates is, is we got tired of people whining that when you ran a debate case mm-hmm. that they'd say, oh, this is unfair, that I don't want to debate this case. And so we started doing something where we'd give the opposing team an option. We'd raise an issue. Capital punishment should be abolished. and And I would typically turn as the first speaker, I'd turn to the opposition and say, which side do you want? Yes or no. Mm. And I just give the opponent the choice. Um, and if they didn't choose, I'd choose, but, but often they would choose. And I'd take the other side and say, great. And you eliminated all the whining. Then you just actually had a debate about the merits of it. Because once they pick their side, they don't get to complain about how it's an unfair debate. Well, when I hit David, my partner, um, Slash and I ran a case. America is or is not the greatest country in the history of the world, mm. and it was very funny. Slash and I, as we were talking about the case beforehand, he thought the case was a falsism. Like he said, "There's no way you could think America is the greatest" because he believed in socialism. He believed in lots of things that made no sense. I I think the, the the proposition is unquestionably true, and so I stood up and I turned to David, my partner, and I said. Uh, which side do you want, is or is not? And David immediately chose is. And he made me argue that America is not the greatest country in the history of the world. Remember, David's Jamaican. He's not American. But he knew that that in every <laughs> atom of my body, I believe this. and And, and it was <laughs> agonizing for me to try to argue against the proposition. And I'm very happy to report that David whipped my ass. I mean, beat me up and down the room and truth and justice prevailed, which meant my side lost and and David the Jamaican prevailed in in, in the room. So I tell that story.
1: That's amazing. And, you know, I I actually was a pretty serious debater in high school. And I love when you talk about it because that's such an important skill to be able to get up there and just say, I'm going to defend it. And we're just going to see what arguments Prevail regardless of of who feels which way about which topic, and it's just something our education system is really missing right now.
0: Actually, Annika, I'll tell you one final story just to close out about Robbie yes. George.
1: Oh, perfect.
0: So, so Robbie, <laughs> he's been an incredible friend for thirty plus years. Uh, he was my thesis advisor. He also advised me on on one of my junior papers, and and I got, as you know, at Princeton, your your JPs, your junior papers, are ten percent mm-hmm. of your departmental grades. so they're a big deal. Yeah and I got one of my junior papers back, and you write two of them, one first semester, one second semester. I got, got one of them back that Robbie had graded, and the first page, the corner was folded down, and it had C plus circled. Oh. <laughs> and I remember holding it, and my knuckles turned white. I was literally <laughs> trembling. And, and with the super seriousness of, of a 19-year-old, I was convinced my life was over, like like my entire academic career had (laughs) collapsed. I was gonna be a homeless person in the streets. Like it was, I just went went through this sort sort of visions of terror. And then I flipped the corner over and Robbie had written, just kidding, A. And I, and I went into his office. I said, Professor George, you are an evil man. And, and, he, and he laughed laughed heartily. And I told that story at Princeton Reunions where Robbie was interviewing me. And he laughed again. And he said, I don't remember that at all. And I said, well, it made a much bigger impact on me than I think it did on you. And and so I still save that JP on my on my bookshelf with the corner folded down and Robbie's joke on on the cover of it.
1: I mean that story must just strike fear into the heart of every Princeton student listening to this podcast. So thank you for sharing it. I
0: absolutely
1: I, I really appreciate your time um and I hope you have a successful rest of your day.
0: Thank you very much. God bless.
1: God bless. Well, there you have it, Madisonians. Ted Cruz, Princeton class of 1992 and senator from the state of Texas on his new book, Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. The book is in the show notes, as is Senator Cruz's podcast. If You want to listen in on him as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find out more about the Madison program and what we do on Princeton's campus at jmp.princeton.edu. There, you can sign up for our mailing list and see not only all of our upcoming events, but also recordings of all the wonderful events that we've had in the past. You can also get updates on us via social media or on Twitter at Madison Program, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, you can go ahead and follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any major platform. Please do leave us ratings and reviews. We really appreciate them. Let us know how we're doing. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend and a happy start to the holiday season. See you next time here on Madison's Notes.